the, the, the ethos in our company is always family centric. I mean, you go into one of our restaurants and, and it's this really neat dichotomy of families. They, we have some arcade games, you have video poker in a lot of our, our venues. You have a bar, we sell um, daiquiris. You have the televisions and, and, and just pizza generally is a social experience. Um, and we lean into that. So knowing that we, we have to have the breadth of menu items that caters to the, the, the five-year-old, the 14-year-old, the mom, the dad, and the, the grandparents. And, uh, and that's kind of where we are from a menu standpoint. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Today's guest is Casey Beal. He is the vice president of operations of a growing company-owned chain of pizza stores called Fat Boys Pizza. They're based in Texas and Louisiana, and they're all about marketing and hooks and hospitality and setting themselves apart in a very competitive segment. We talk about the challenges of growing. We talk about experiments that worked. They have alcohol programs and you can even take out gallons of pina coladas from the restaurant. It's all about family focused and offering something for everyone. Arcades and games for the kids in the stores drive-throughs in some of the stores, and a food truck. So all of these things build brand awareness, and they are certainly building a brand and not just running a pizza place or a restaurant. So you're not going to want to miss this episode. Thanks to our sponsors this week, and again, thanks to you, our audience, for tuning in. Now, on with the episode. You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Rockstars, there are many elements to consider when growing your restaurant. Are you connecting with diners enough and with the right message? Could your kitchen be putting out more orders than your dining areas have room for? Well, it can be overwhelming, especially when the reason you got into this business is for the food and the people. That's why restaurants get Pop Menu. Pop Menu is the marketing tech platform designed to make growing your restaurant easy, so you don't have to grow it alone. With Pop Menu, you can capture more guests and their preferences through your restaurant's website that's designed to easily collect contact information and data so you can see what your guests love and why they dine with you. Connect and build authentic relationships with guests by using modern technology that personalizes marketing. Make all your systems work better together, improve margins, and conquer the chaos of your restaurant's digital presence. Pop Menu has a special offer for my listeners. For a limited time, get $100 off your first month plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash rockstars. Go now to get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash rockstars. Let me introduce you to GoTab. GoTab is a restaurant commerce platform with a suite of solutions, including POS, online ordering, mobile pay, and even a kitchen management tool. Now you know I'm all about maximizing sales, but did you know that operators using the GoTab platform see 35 to 50% higher check averages and 20% higher tips? Now that can be a real game changer for your bottom line. The GoTab platform empowers you, the operator, to run a leaner and more profitable operation. Listen to what GoTab customers have to say. Kent says with real-time analytics, we can manage our plate cost. When we switched to GoTab, we were able to lower labor costs and increase wages. Ian shares that our chefs and managers love to use GoTab. The back end is well thought out, intuitive, and easy to use. While Keem adds that the GoTab team is always available for us and extremely responsive. 
GoTab's flexible, easy-to-use solutions will simplify your operations, putting you in control of your restaurant's success. Visit GoTab.com rockstars today to sign up for a free demo and get qualified to receive a complimentary meal. Again, that's GoTab.com rockstars. Casey, thanks so much for being here on the show. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Roger. Well, you're a pretty dynamic, passionate guy about this business. We were chatting a little bit before this uh, recording started, and you've got a fast-growing concept. We're going to talk all about that. But before we do, my guests are always fascinated because everyone has their own restaurant story, and it all started somewhere for you. And yours is particularly interesting. So take us back as far as you'd like and just tell us your career trajectory in hospitality and restaurants. Yeah, I mean, and, and I'll, I'll try not to be too verbose in, in this uh, summary, but uh, I think my 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 trek through the hospitality industry for many people happened uh, by just happenstance. Um, it was a a means to an end. It was a conduit to be able to do the things that I wanted to do. And and, and at a young age, it was uh, going out and having fun. And uh, so in college, I, I secured a a great bartending gig at a nightclub in New Orleans. And I used to drive in on the weekends, make a ton of money, drive back to college and spend all of that money and come back at zero and uh, finished college, got a what I often refer to as a real job uh, as a district sales manager right out of college for a Fortune 500 company. Um, and uh, I'm out in Dallas. And about a year and a half into it, I, I realized I was not happy. I was lonely. I, I was missing something. Um, I got in a U-Haul, drove back to my parents' house. My mom started unpacking my things. I said, mom, I'm only going to be here for a couple of weeks. Please stop unpacking. About a year later, she's like, get your ass out of my house, please. Um, awesome. And uh, But for, in, in my, my time looking for um, that career, I, I found myself having to go back into the, the bar business. And uh, lo and behold, that kind of evolved, doors kind of opened, taking on more responsibility. And uh, before you know it, it, you know, I was I was running the general manager of the largest nightclub in the city of New Orleans. Um, and then, that's and huge. That, yeah. That, yeah. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, learned a lot. Got to it was so much energy in the building every day. It was just infectious. Um, I, I think that my mentor there, um, a, a gentleman named Chip Abood, I, I didn't realize what I was learning in that setting, but we we what we he was notorious for was high level attention to detail that would have been successful in any industry. And when when he applied that attention to detail and that professionalism in a platform that was such just a, a party scene where it's notorious for being run by the owner that's at the bar having a drink. And we 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 polished our shoes. We stood a certain way. We made sure that people used to smoke back then, had lighters on us. I mean, there were certain things that we had to make sure we did. And I just really thought that um, set me up for a lot of success. And, and then that turned into a career. So I'm hearing professionalism and hospitality combined in a business, like you said, that's traditionally a little loose. It's all about the party. And I know that scene, you know, I had a really busy bar and a lot of bar owners that I knew were like you described. It's like, everyone wants to buy you a drink. It's like when you're on site, it's like, Hey, Roger, let me buy you a drink. And it's like, I avoided that. You know, that was not my scene. I ran a business. I didn't run a bar. So it yeah. sounds like that's exactly that, that experience. Keep yeah. going. This is good. No, yeah, I mean, I, I recall, you know, that 
times where the plant would be five feet away from where it was supposed to, you know, the normal location of it and walking by and he would point, you know, and those things just kind of translated to, to a lot of success from there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that, that group actually pursued a, um, a concept that was called Barcadia concepts. Um, and that was kind of like the, you've probably seen the, the bar slash bistro slash arcade, um, yeah. type yep. of concept. Yep. And uh, they they had locations in New Orleans, Baton Rouge, and also in the the Texas market. So I was a director of operations for them uh, for for some time, and then um, kind of serendipitously, with I think a lot of people in this industry, it's a it's a tightly woven network of of people. And uh, one of the the managers that worked with me during the nightclub days, he left joined Caesars Entertainment, kind of climbed through their corporate ladder, uh, moving around with them. And um, and then he secured a uh, an executive level role with Caesars Entertainment, got relocated to the New Orleans market, and then dialed me up. And then that's when when I joined Caesars, and I was with them for gosh, almost eight years as an executive. Um, had the the pleasure of doing the the grand opening of Caesars Palace Dubai, which we, we wow, we, that's uh, huge too. Uh, it was huge. It was a lot of fun. Opened yeah. up Golden Ramble's kitchen, multiple concepts, Unbelievable. and then. Also, like equally as exciting was the transition of the Caesars property in New Orleans, which is a Harris New Orleans, to a Caesars New Orleans, and really kind of mapping out what that food and beverage program was going to look like. Um, the synergies that are created in there, sitting in a room with the president of Caesars, debating about like what were the right concepts. Um, you know, he they wanted to lean heavily into the New Orleans food scene and say. Let's recreate these things, and uh, and as a local and somebody that that I thought maybe hell maybe one day they'll be f- fail there and, and blame me. Um, but uh, I, I recall the, the the debate of we can't recreate the gritty, authentic nature of what's in the French Quarter, and if we do that, people are going to call baloney on us and think we're too sterile. So it, it was a lot of fun to be part of that quite diverse experience. I mean, the gaming industry, right? Really fast paced, obviously really profitable. You learn a lot of things. Hospitality is very present there as well. It has to be, especially for the high rollers and that kind of thing. In Dubai, I mean, what a wealthy area that is to begin with. I mean, it brings high rollers in from around the world, I'm sure. And uh, what an experience. How long were you in Dubai? Uh, Two consecutive, like so total about 60 days. Okay, cool. So nice little mini vacation while you're working. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was really neat. That's excellent. So how did you end up at Fat Boys? And tell us the brainchild and the history of the brand. So yeah, so the founder and owner of Fat Boys is a gentleman named Gabe Corciani. Our, our kids went to a, a, a high school together. Uh, we met when they were probably freshmen or eighth grade or something along those lines. And um, we kind of hit it off and we started just hitting the gym together five days a week, meeting at the gym, talking about business. Gabe was a very successful business person. Um, We had some similarities. He was in the gaming industry uh, on the video poker side. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, those kind of topics were front and center often uh, when when we got together in the gym. Um, He went to, he grew up in Miami. Um, He used to spend his summers on the boardwalk in New Jersey, and uh, one weekend he goes to Miami for the weekend recently, you know, pr- prior to the opening of the first restaurant. And he saw this concept that was doing a New York style pizza, but in a larger than life form, similar to ours, had a line wrapped around the building. And that really was the inspiration behind it. 
And Roger, I'll be candid with you. When he came to the gym that next week, he's like, I got an idea. I want to open a restaurant. I said, dude, don't do it. No, don't freaking do it. Everyone um, wants to open a restaurant. Why wouldn't you? I mean, uh, it's the most glamorous yeah. business on the planet. And it's so easy to run a restaurant. God, oh, everyone no, should. So easy. It's All so, right. Yeah. <laughs> I said, go, go buy a, I said, buy a building and sell yeah. it. You know, this will, this will be a you know, more successful yep. I said, Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. and the manager doesn't show up, they're calling you and you're going to stop what you're doing and need to open up that restaurant. And, and you're going to make maybe $100,000 a year if you're lucky. Um, you know, so um, at that time, he he tried to persuade me to come join him um, in the venture of Fat Boys. He offered me a, almost 49% of the business at that time. And uh, in my infinite wisdom, I said, no way. I got, I don't want to flip pies, buddy. And, uh, you know, about a year and a half later, you, we get through COVID and, and navigate some significant headwinds in the hospitality space. And uh, and I was knocking on his door and uh, clearly was not able to negotiate that portion of a uh, percentage. I want but, my 49% uh, and I want it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So gotcha. uh, but it's, been, it's been awesome, man. It's a cool That's concept. Cool. Yep. Um, it's scalable. It, it's so approachable. There's so many facets of it that I think are um, are are unique, but also like connectivity to the consumer is is really really interesting, and, and it's I, I love it. Tell us about some of the things that really make that brand stand out. Because let's face it, pizza is one of the most competitive segments in this business, yeah. right? And so obviously, we're going to talk a lot about what I call hooks. Everyone knows what a hook is, and you've got plenty of those. But tell us in your in your mind what really makes this brand stand out. Yeah, I mean, you nailed it. 93% of Americans have eaten pizza in the last 30 days. And so statistically, our consumers are not just consuming it, but they're consuming it in a way that makes them feel like they're subject matter experts. And the varieties that are in that marketplace makes people identify with their favorite type. So a New York style pizza could be uh, a disgrace to somebody in Chicago, right? And uh, oh yeah, so passionate like about pizza, and our version is better than yours, and it's deep dish this, and it's heavy crust that, and it's cracker. You know, every there's so many variations on it, but yeah, people are so well, you know, into it so much that. I don't need to tell you that. Yeah. So everybody has an opinion. Um, of course. And you know, yeah. by, by all means, I, I would be lying if I said this is everybody's favorite pizza in the whole wide world. But I will say mm -hmm. um, we we put forth real passion into our product. Uh, all of our dough is made in-house at every one of our restaurants. All of our sa sauces are made every single morning. We, we literally pick basil leaves off the basil stem um, and put them in our sauce and, and blend it. And then our hook, I mean, uh, you know, I, I think it's a great product, but the size of our pizza, we, we do a, a whole pie is 30 inches. Um, so you get a 15 inch slice of pizza um, and we sell pizza by the slice. You can buy a whole pie, but I mean, th that that just blows people away. I, if you walk to an event or a catering event or a business meeting and you bring in a box, everybody's heads are turning. Um, it's it's just, you know, the, the size of the pizza is really the thing that is the most profound part of our business. And the same with the slice. Well, first of all, you got a tagline, size matters, which is cheeky, of course, right? Yeah. And then I read on your website something about if this slice were the flag, you'd be pledging allegiance to it. It's like, I love that <laughs> stuff. Like that is really great, catchy marketing. And and that those two products alone are a hook for sure. But then the marketing reinforces that. And I'm sure these are super popular in your stores. But let me ask you something. The 30-inch pie, I mean, do you have bigger ovens than usual? Does this slow down service because, you know, so many 30-inch pies are being ordered at the same time and you don't have capacity for all the other items because your menu isn't just pizza and we'll talk about that too. 
Certainly, yeah. Um, it I think in the early iterations of our our first store, there yeah. were a lot of throughput challenges, um, and you know clearly there's been some adaptation where we have acquired additional real estate at that particular location, as well as future designs. Understanding that we we can't run it with a traditional two oven kind of setup, um, so we we've augmented accordingly. Um, I'm really ex- one of the most exciting things for our brand. I believe is uh, the technological advancements that are occurring in this hospitality space, and one of them is a um, a brick oven conveyor oven uh, made by a Canadian company called Hot Rocks. Uh, it's a sixty one thousand dollar oven, but it 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 allows for us to get more throughput with these large pies. So that's so interesting. I mean, I've. I had pizzerias and they had wood burning brick ovens and now there's coal fired ovens and these gas ovens and there's wood ovens and there's conveyor ovens. This is a conveyor in a brick oven. I'm I'm hearing from you. Is that right? Yeah. So it mirrors the the, the same similarities of the brick ovens that we normally utilize uh, uh-huh. as stones that are on sl- sl- uh, slats that rotate. So it it functions like a conveyor with omnidirectional heat. That. Yeah, but the the stones actually rotate. Wow. So it allows for the quality of the pie to mm-hmm. to maintain the integrity of a traditional oven. Um, but then the the speed is quicker. And then most importantly, everybody's facing the challenges of the labor force and the skilled labor force specifically. Certainly. And you, you would go into many of our restaurants and the highest compensated person, the operating partner or the general manager of every location, and they're on the oven. You know, they're not talking to our guests. They're not driving the culture. They're not ensuring that things are going well, their heads in the oven because the, the the necessity to make sure the quality is good. And this has mitigated some of those challenges where we can have a less skilled workforce that slides in on one side of the oven, it comes out the other side, and then you cut it and it's ready to go. Yeah. That's I mean, good. that's just efficient and smart right there. And that's, that's a new one for me. I mean, I'm getting the stone concept because traditionally stones are fixed in an oven, but now it's like rotating as part of the conveyor, which is way cool as the pizza moves through the oven. What's the timing? Let's just say you put a 30 inch pie in a conveyor. How long does it take before it's finished? Yeah. So the whole pie, uh, 30 is about six minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that then, but what we do is we have a double stack um, so majority majority of our orders are going to be pizza by the slice. So we'll have one set of specific heat and temperature and time, mm-hmm. and the other belt is going to be set at two minutes. So from order to fire, we have a two minute turn time on those pizzas by the slice, um, and and that's been great. We I'm not sure if you you saw this, but we we recently two of our most recent openings um, are what we're calling express. Uh, venues and it, we have drive-throughs in them, and we're literally able to take fresh-made house pies that are literally cooked, get the order, and two two and a half minutes later, able to put it out the window. That's amazing. So, not every concept had a drive-through, but now all the future ones will. Or that's really what you're targeting or trying to achieve? Because not, I mean, it's hard. I mean, two things we're talking about here: finding excellent locations, and then two, having locations that have the room and the parking and the drive-through ability and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So we have four more restaurants in queue. Uh, mm-hmm. Three of those four are going to be our flagship stores without a drive-through in three to four thousand square feet indoor outdoor seating full menu. Oh, the fourth out of the four is going to be what we're calling an express. It 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 does force us to have a limited option. In the traditional stores, we have 10 different pies available. Um, in the express models, we only do our top four. 
um, just a smaller menu, smaller footprint. So um, I, I'm concerned um, if we ever try to do a 4,000 square foot venue and do drive through. I just think the the number of orders coming in simultaneously could could create erosion yeah. and the guest satisfaction. Yeah, I mean, I'm always thinking about logistics and how you make one decision and the you know the ex- the execution has to be flaws, but you got to think ahead of what the impact is going to be. And I've seen that happen. And you know, those are challenges that that you try to work through, but it doesn't always work. So I think you're smart in, in thinking so. Let's talk about some of the hooks besides okay, the pies. I mean, you've got lots of variety of pies, and they look amazing. And obviously, the world's biggest slice and all that kind of stuff. And the thirty inch pie is cool. But I guess I was really surprised to see your other offerings, especially like on the shareables and on the appetizers. I mean, everything from meatballs to sliders to waffle fries to cheese curds to pretzels to, I mean, all this stuff is a draw into itself, right? And people are obviously uh, passionate about what they eat. And it's not just about pizza. These things go together, but are they all equally popular? And do you have them in all the stores? Is that a unified menu? All of our flagship restaurants have the same menu. Um, the the express models in our French Quarter location have a much smaller uh, footprint on the menu. Yeah. Um, but you know the the second thing behind our pizza that just moves almost an astronomical rate are our chicken wings. Oh um, right, the yeah. wings. Yep, the wings do extremely well. Um, you know, I think we are at our peak from a menu perspective. The number of options, um, if anything. You know, I, I struggle. I, I think, you know, in the, the 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 thing I'm enamored most about with these express models that I refer to with the limited menu is the concentration on just a few small things, um, I think, allows for that product to be just really, really good every single time and all very consistent. And, uh, you know, we do 10,000 orders a week right now in our, in our company. Um, so even if there's a product on there that only represents 2%, that's 200 people a week that are ordering something. And uh, it's 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 tough in these economic times to, to go, you know what, maybe we're going to not do meatballs or maybe we're going to omit the sliders because it, the second you do that, the inertia of those people, that, that that's their favorite. Um, yes. It gets very, very challenging. But, um, you know, the, 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 the ethos in our company is always family centric. I mean, you go into one of our restaurants and, and it's this really neat dichotomy of, families they, we have some arcade games you have video poker in a lot of our our venues you have a bar we sell um daiquiris you have the televisions and and, and just pizza generally is a social experience um and we lean into that so knowing that we we have to have the breadth of menu items that caters to the 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 five-year-old the 14 year old the mom the dad and the the grandparents and uh and that's kind of where we are from a menu standpoint hey there rock stars let's talk birthday marketing it's one of those critical important details that either drive new and repeat business into your place or not now very few of us are real expert marketers but why not a program that's done for you that targets all the customers in your area that are having birthdays everyone has a birthday why not speak to my buddy Dyson Barnett he's a former restaurant owner operator he knows this business and now his company delivers birthday customers and it's all done for you pick up the phone contact my buddy Dyson check out the link in this episode and why not 
Get some marketing that you can track where you know exactly if it's working or not and what the return on investment is because so few marketing dollars that restaurant owners spend is trackable. So that's key. Dyson is pretty certain that he can get more butts in seats and not only more butts in seats, but repeat business. Once he introduces new customers to your restaurant, those people, if they have a great experience in your place, are going to come back and tell their friends. Now that's trackable and that's powerful marketing. Check it out at jointhebirthdayclub.com slash birthday rockstar. It sounds like you're trying to please all the people all the time and give someone something for everyone. And it sounds like you're hitting all those bases. That's that's fantastic. Let me ask you something about consistency because that is just so key to a franchise yet. Now, as you diversify your regions and your growth in the future, and we'll talk about growth plans, are you allowing any leeway with franchisees with, say, adding a little community flavor to their stores? And if they come up with a new menu item that they think will be a hit, do they run it by you? And do you test it with focus groups? Or do you just say, nope, this is the menu and this is what you're selling? Like, what's your company ethos on that? Yeah, this is this is where I'm going to sound schizophrenic because philosophically, um, I worked for some large corporations and, um, and, and they having joysticks on the back of successful dynamic individuals i think is complete contrarian to my my view set i i okay. love thank autonomy. you i love personalization um with every every interview when we hire somebody um at any level of leadership i say i want one idea a year from you one idea that's that's what my requirement is um because i think great companies if they unlock the potential to unlock the full potential they get everybody kind of throwing ideas um out there so do, we don't really, we do not allow deviations from the core recipes and what we do. Um, that That's kind of our sacred ground. All of our stores are, it's, we have nine locations. They're all corporate owned locations. Um, so we we put in our, our feelers out there from a franchising perspective. But at this point, it's our all corporate owned stores. Therefore, the menus are the same. Um, but the, the thing that we have deviation on is our marketing strategies in each community. Um, we're we're going to market not by huge billboards and large brand awareness campaigns and television. We're going to get woven into the fabric of the communities. We're going to be part of the high school teams. We're going to have the, the baseball field for the little league is going to have our name on it. That, that to me is where it is wide open as far as our philosophical beliefs for the operating partners to go, Hey, get into the community. And the answer is going to be yes when you ask. Excellent. That's that's a very good answer to what I was looking for. But let's go back to what you said. Um, thanks for clarifying that these are company-owned stores. And you obviously made a decision to keep it company-owned or you would explore franchising in the future. I mean, what's the growth plan look like? Yeah. You know, uh, we, we recently had two different press releases that went out that um, are, are seeking potential franchisees in different marketplaces. Um, the, the, the South Alabama Gulf coast region, as well as some Northern Mississippi areas, um, that we are putting our feelers out there. We're never going to be an organization as long as I'm running it, that is going to be measured by, um, strategic growth plans that say we're going to hit X amount of stores and X amount of timeline. Um, I, I want to be governed by just making smart business decisions. Um, do, does the person meet our culture and our um our philosophical beliefs and do they they look at things through the same prison as us i i don't want i i truly believe that if if we are deliberate in our partnerships with people and we take our time if it's 
the end of this year or if it's the end of in 10 years, um, we're going to achieve the success that we have because, you know, one of the things that as I was prepping for this meeting, I, I listened to the, the gentleman from the Kanato Tacos and they oh, talked yeah, about, Kandado, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. And I mean, I'm like shaking my head. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes. Because look, I, the, the competitive set, not just for pizza, but just for food in general, there's a lot of like similarities. I think we can, you can replicate restaurant food. You can't replicate their culture. And uh, I, I would be, uh, I will be, it's a non-negotiable to f- partner with somebody to get a, a revenue percent and lose the culture that we believe in. I'm really glad that you touched on culture. And I'm I'm sort of really into that concept right now because my restaurants were all about a culture. It was not about a mission statement, but there's, and then you, you even mentioned the word leadership and I'm just so hell bent on on paradigm shifting this industry because that word manager gets thrown out way too often and it really should be leader because just because someone's promoted to be a manager doesn't mean they're experienced or competent. They just got promoted and they've got a title and that means they're the boss and most likely they delegate. They don't empower their people. They don't give them responsibility, recognize and award achievement, nurture and develop the team. That's leadership. There's a huge difference between those things. And then a mission statement is in my book, it's something that hangs on the wall that no one pays any attention to that might have meant something once, but it's like, it's not how you run your company. It's about the culture. It's about the people. It's about the common goal and the philosophies. And it sounds like this is how you run your company. Can you define what, you know, fat boys culture is in, in your mind? Like what, what is, what does your company believe its culture to be? What do you believe the culture to be? First it's, you know, that our culture will be equal. Like we, we're assigned different job titles Therefore, our responsibilities are different, but we're on this earth as equals. Our our time on this earth is, you know, uh, uh, Neil Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, wrote a book, Starry Messenger, I believe, okay. and uh, it was it, it, he was an astrophysicist, and he writes the book, and it, you have I, it's it, the moment in a book where he says, you know, the the human species represents one blade of grass on a on a on a entire football field, and for us to to think that. We're so powerful that we're the manager, and you're the the, the you work for me. Um, we we talk about like work. We work with people. We don't work. People don't work for us. Um, I, I I I demand a culture that we're sharing ideas. That um, you know I, I mentioned earlier. Like let's get one idea a year from every single person in leadership. Like and and what if I got one idea a month? Like imagine what happens to that organization. So. Um, we, we are strong about the why, you know, I mean, a a lot of our people, when I joined the company, I looked at their resumes and it worked, they worked at like pizza restaurants. And that was like the criteria at one point for this company. We just hired somebody to become an operating partner of a $1.9 million news store in the Texas market. She doesn't have restaurant experience. Um, but she has the emotional intelligence that I believe is we can teach you the technical components of this job. Like it's not hard. Um, we've simplified it. There's technology that's making it easier and easier and easier every single day. I I can't teach you the in, innate skill set. Uh, are you familiar with like Danny Meyer? Like his book oh, yeah. setting the table. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. What are they, they? They they don't hire technical skills. You need some of those, right? But they hire emotional intelligence. And I mean, boy, talk about like all in on that. That And that's what we look for is like, do we have good human beings on our team? Are we going to treat each other well? And, th- and that to me is like the my job 
100% is making sure that we have good people that are nice to people. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. It's about hiring for personality and approach to the job and a true desire to serve the public. And we can train for experience. You know, if you hire the right people that, you know, are reliable and you want 20 more of those people, you know, and then you shadow and you mentor and all those things. And pretty soon you got what I call the dream team. So I totally agree with that philosophy. Yeah. Roger, I mean, I want to have like the job's got stress points. It's hard. There's financial ramifications. You, 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 you were uh, tongue in cheek earlier about like, oh, it's easy. You know, you just got to do a few. It is, it's so crazy how many people got into this industry by accident, I think. And it's probably one of the hardest industries in the world because your customer is a subject matter expert. They always have an opinion. You can't suck at anything. You can't be bad at marketing. You can't be bad at site selection. You can't be bad at development, teaching, training. Your food's got to be great. So there, yes. if, if you have a chicken at armor, you're, you're going to fail. And yet, like we, we, you know, there's all these people that get involved in this business. So, um, you know, if we can drive good culture, um, I think that'll just really give us a great, great foundation for having success. I'm really glad you shared that because every operator should think of the culture and think about the people and the people you're looking for and training. You mentioned the word training. I mean, training should happen every single day just to yeah. up-level the guest service experience. And like you said, it's like, it's so easy. It's kind of unfortunate, right? Because not everybody who has a great experience at a Fat Boys or any restaurant is going to leave a positive review, but one little thing goes sideways and then it gets over-embellished and on you know TripAdvisor and Yelp and people can really slam you and ruin your business just because they were upset about maybe something slight that may have been beyond your control, but the customer is always right in the customer's mind. And that's a challenge in this business and how you address those issues and put a positive spin on things and make things right for the guest is pretty critical too. Absolutely. And I know you can, you got your own stories, I guarantee you, but the time, like we screw up, like we're yeah. going to screw up. We screwed yeah, up today. Human error. Of course. And, um, and, 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 but those screw ups, if you're, if you really care, like if you have that DNA trait that like you, you selfishly enjoy altering the trajectory of somebody's day. Like I, I, I really get happy making somebody happy. And, uh, and, and when you screw up, like you get this really upset guest and you're like, you apologize, you, you make it right. Sometimes those become your, literally your, your greatest, biggest champions for your brand. And it's fascinating. You know, I had, I I was walking through one of our restaurants the other day and I saw this lady kind of fiddling in her salad and I'm just, it clearly, she was, something wasn't right. And I said, can I help you? And she's like, yeah, some of this lettuce is wilted. And it was like, all right, here you go. Here's another salad. I'm sorry. And I gave her a free gift or free card to get a, a, Mm -hmm. a slice on our next visit. She grabbed me when she was leaving. Thank you so much. Like we screwed up and now she's like, uh, you know, thanking me. And it's, it's, it's very fulfilling to, 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 to be able to do that to me. Now you're talking about the lifetime value of a customer, as opposed to letting something go and you may never see that person again and it's forgotten, but think about making a raving fan for your business and the exponential effect that that has from that person, either on social media or just talking up their friends and family and how often that person will come back because you just created a loyal friend by that one generous action or reasonable action. You might say you screwed up. Okay. Here's a salad and a gift card. I really, you know, we're, we honestly genuinely apologize. Thank you so much for your business. And now that person, you're going to see him all the time. And now you just made a best friend and yeah, 
You know, yeah. very few, not, not many service businesses will think about it to that depth of what is the value of this one interaction with this one guest when I just made one thing right. And what does that mean to this business over the next five years or even longer? If this person really is happy about what you did for them. And you just gave us a great example of that. So thanks. Yeah. There's an old video <laughs> out there. Um, yeah. give them, give them the pickle. I'm not sure. Oh yeah. I, oh, I've seen that. Oh yes. My wife uses that term all the time. She's okay. Our producer, and when she hears you say that, she's gonna laugh. But yeah, give him yeah. the pickle. Yep, give to him. You know, and it's so yeah. true. It's like we're selling pizza. You know, I had a we 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 had some movement in our leadership team recently, and I met with one of our our our, our store management team, and and there were some um, some newer hired leaders in that in in the room, and I just was like, guys, it's pizza. Like we're not we're not we're like not let this place alter the trajectory of your day. Like come in here in a good mood, leave in a good mood and your range of emotions needs to stay small. And when there's a bad experience, like look at it from a, give them the pickle, you know? And sometimes I've seen leaders fight with the guests, you know, like, Oh no, they were wrong. And, you know, exactly. Like, you're, you're wasting and expelling a lot of negative energy for no reason. And, and it doesn't matter. I think that's, yeah, that, that goes back to the manager or the boss mentality versus the true leader, you know, that yeah. recognizes opportunity and the fact that, yeah, I mean, you come in and it's all about making friends every day and building relationships with our guests, one guest at a time that then leads to additional opportunity for the business. So that is absolutely yeah. true. I read this thing, Southwest Airlines, it's a brand that I know recently they've experienced some, uh, some Oh challenge. yeah. Yeah. The cancellations but, and the delays and all yeah, that stuff. I think historically, like they rebranded that group, their, their, their company based on great customer experience. And uh, in their training, they, they shared that one person on every flight is going to a, a, a lifetime altering moment. You know, if it's a, a death of a family member oh, yes. or this is true. And, and that training resonated with me because, you know, we've all had the customer that comes in and they're just like, you're like, wow. And, and, but if you, if you catalog that and go, you know what, like what happened to this person beforehand and don't let it take, don't take it personal. Don't let them bring you down. I mean, I, I looked at your resume or your, your background and how many servers had come to you all frustrated about the way a guest is treating them, you know, and it ruins their whole night. It completely derails them. And it's like, don't don't let that person take you down, you know? Yeah, we used to say, leave your problems at the door. And then we had this giant, well, on the side of our wood-burning brick oven, we had a huge sort of message to the team, keep calm and rock on. And we used to train all the time. It's like, uh, leave your problems at the door, come in, get ready to rock and just roll with whatever happens. And hospitality yeah. is the foundation of everything we do. And keep that in mind, you so, know, and it works. It does. It really does. So you guys also bring the party to people with food trucks, which is so cool because one, it builds further awareness for the brand, but it's so awesome that you obviously, well, is, is this mostly private parties or do you literally park these things at ball games and like events or a variety of those things? How does that work? Yeah. So about two years ago, we partnered with LSU uh, baseball and their athletics. So we would have the food truck at every one of their uh, baseball games. Mm -hmm. um, and But really, the majority of those uh, opportunities are going to be sanctioned events. Like, you know, if it's a festival, if it's a private event, um, a team building opportunity, we'll be with Chick-fil-A next week for a few days. Like So things like that's really where we utilize a truck and you nailed it. I mean, it's just... 
the truck is uh it's fully wrapped and branded and you know size matters everywhere and yeah. you know it's yeah, it's a great way. We've primed quite a few of our markets as well as we're new to market, like bring the truck there and try to operate it for a little while and uh, in front of the store location to just introduce ourselves to the community. Very cool. Yeah, that's great. Are your colors like orange and white? I noticed the trucks seem to be predominantly orange and white, which really jumps out. You can see it a mile away and then people know Absolutely. what it is over time as well. So that's all part of branding. You're not just running a pizza place. You're building a strong brand and you're growing it every day. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I've kind of alluded to it a few times. Uh, the the CEO for Domino's recently said, we're a technology company that sells pizza. And, uh, you know, and, and then I saw something else that's like, if Nike built a, a hotel, we would know exactly what it would look like. But if Hilton built a shoe, we would have no idea what that shoe would be. That's so, an interesting point. Yeah, yeah. So you take you know, like some of those things, like we, we well, I, I, I think the branding of who we are, like everything goes through that prism. And when we make decisions, it's, it, is it our brand? Does it make sense for what we do? Is this a fat voice? Um, does this make sense in, in our space? Let's go back. Um, I was really fascinated by the story of the founder who obviously was into video gaming and poker and suddenly wants to start a restaurant. Can you speak to the the growth trajectory that one store led to two, led to nine, and, and how that happened and how long that process took and what some of the biggest challenges were? Because I know some of our audience are in the one store, successful store. Obviously, franchising can be a really onerous process, but just starting a second store and then maintaining that consistency and making sure that the guest experience, especially in disparate locations, it's one thing to do it in the same town. It's another thing to do it the next state over It's and then grow that thing and be company owned stores. Like, tell us some of the challenges that maybe Fat Boys faced. Yeah, no, you know, the, the, the growth wasn't planned. Like it was uh, organic and it was a a major success that uh, Gabe Corciani experienced at his first location. And I remember I wasn't with the company. I remember having the conversation where um, the the former CEO of Smoothie King, Tom O'Keefe, um, who lives near our first location uh, in the New Orleans market, went in there and met Gabe for the first time. He's like, this is scalable. Like you have something here. Um, reach out to me if you if you're interested in in looking at more and um and Gabe came in and he was excited about that and that dialogue started and I remember telling him never discount the influence that you single-handedly had on the success of this restaurant um I I grew so much respect for somebody that is a very very successful business person uber stable financially this was not a financial this didn't open up from a financial perspective. This opened up as like, I'm passionate about this and I want to do it. And um, so every time I came here, he was here, he would be bussing tables, you know? And it was almost like, and his wife, I would see here bussing tables sometimes, you know, gosh, like this is, this is fascinating. Um, and, and I cautioned him about the success being a direct correlation to the amount of input he put in. And when you go an hour away, you won't be able to have that influence. Um, and he, he opened up number one and then number two. Um, and to some degree, some of that success happened, uh, the, the, the third rotate location kind of overlapped with COVID and for a lot of pizzerias that led to a significant financial boom because it was a grab and go type of concept where you didn't have to be in a dining room. So 
really uber successful um, at these early onset openings, coupled by the a hurricane that came through the marketplace that solidified. They they closed for the hurricane and opened up super quickly. And being one of the only restaurant groups that was open, um, sales went through the roof. Ida presented a ton of philanthropic opportunities with the 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 first responders, the hospitals, and grew even greater cultural awareness and community awareness for us. So those things kind of were good timing and led to that success. Um, and then he and I started having the dialogue about joining the company um, after number three was opened. Anything that um, comes to mind that was a real sort of a pain point or a super challenge or something, a big hurdle you had to get over that you thought was kind of insurmountable or at least really huge and intimidating, but then it happened and then you can laugh at it now. Like everyone's got those stories and our audience seems to love those. <laughs> Anything come to mind uh, uh, in the early days? Oh, God. I mean, what the problem is like is I think successful people embrace failure, um, you know, and we, I, I don't run from it. I try to avoid it. Um, yeah. but you know, yeah. I, 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 I'm very good at failing. Um, and, uh, I got to stop that, but you know, from, from, from our standpoint, you know, I think the, the biggest learnings have come with just the, the, the cadence in which we're growing, um, we're, we're, you, you can easily, take short-term success and then not have enough data and then go, 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 go. Mm -hmm. And then when things settle down, you're like, oh, this isn't performing as well. Therefore, the projections are are not as strong as you know we anticipated. Um, so our, our growth plan was not mapped out um, extremely well. It was like, all right, this is a good site. Let's go. And um, getting highly saturated in a single marketplace, you know, we got to be smart about that as well. Um, and what, what we recently did is we went out to the Houston, Texas market and, um, getting open out there. You're, you're like, Oh crap. Like, why didn't we go to these bigger markets quicker? Um, there's just much denser, much, a lot more disposable income instead of doubling down in our little marketplace. Awesome. You know, Economies of scale are important in any business to the extent. And as a business grows, obviously, you got to start negotiating better, better prices because we're in the midst of inflation and high labor costs. And we've already talked about labor challenges. Do you get involved in that at all? And are you exclusive to your suppliers to get these massive deals across those stores? Or how's that working for you now? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, pretty much everything in the company other than our our, our financing um process rolls through me. So I'm, I'm deeply involved in, in all of those discussions. Um, and, you know, it's, it's critical, you know, I, I'll never be an organization that is, we're going to be smart. We're going to have our checks and balances. Um, but I, I, you know, from a vendor relationship standpoint, they are partners. Um, and I don't want to be a company that says, all right, it's the first of the year, everybody give me your best bid and you got them beat by a dollar and we're switching. Um, I think there's a, a need to be smart. You continue to be aware, but, uh, my partnership with these vendors is, is a personal one. And I think that personal relationship leads to great professional results. Um, and knowing that when I'm in a jam, I have the ability to call up Roger and say, Hey buddy, I, 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 we screwed up. I need your help. And it's not just because you were at a low bidder. Gotcha. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is a business of relationships, not just with your guests, not just with your team, but also with your suppliers. And over the long haul, you want to be with those that give you great service, give you solid pricing, but are always there in the clutch. When something goes sideways, you want to be able to rely on these people. And over time, I was with you. I mean, I was with uh, a company for geez, 20 plus years and they bent over backwards for us. And you certainly appreciate that, especially yeah. when the unexpected is always around the next corner. I mean, you know, we had a rep that would drive at 2 a.m. if he had to get us something in a snowstorm just because the relationship was, you know, so long and, and solid. So I, let's, I recently yeah, had, a, recently had a, a food vendor, you know, that is is trying to get our business and and mm-hmm. and I, I'll never forget what I told him. I said, I don't know if I'm their best customer, but I feel like I am. And, I you know, that. and it's like, and it was so true because they're like, they're going, Hey, we, we're going to come in and be pricing. But the, the, the sense of security I have with that partnership is, is going to, I don't know what the dollar amount of savings would be that would compel me to make that decision. You know, you can relate that to the guest as well. I mean, first-time visitors probably come into your stores all the time, and those are the people you don't recognize, and they either heard about it from a friend or they were driving by and it was lunchtime and it looked good, or for a variety of reasons, people come into every restaurant anywhere as a first-time visitor, and you want them to be treated like they're a regular or like they're an old friend, even if they are a first-time visitor. So I'm sure that's part of the philosophy, but let's talk about staff training and onboarding and what makes your team stand out from a service standpoint. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it starts with great leadership, right? I mean, making sure we hire good human beings um, that believe in our, our, our core competencies and explaining why um, being patient. Um, I, I never want to be governed by like the the playbook that says, all right, this happened at page 13, turn it on. I remember um, I, I joined the company and uh, our, we had a new store opening and I sit down and they got 40, 40 new hires sitting in a room on folding chairs. And uh, they say, introduce themselves and we say hello. And then we hit the play on the TV. And then our, our, our managers kind of go and huddle and start talking. And I look and I'm like, no, 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 guys, come here. Like, this is not who we're going to be. We're not going to let that be how we teach people who we are. We're going to have a a a, a very intimate, unique, personal connection with these people from a training perspective. Will you? We have over eighty videos in our Scoots training database that we can use as a governing body to keep us our, our parameters in place, but. It it one hundred percent starts with just having good people that like like I said earlier like they selfishly enjoy like altering the trajectory of development of that employee and seeing them where they're confident and happy um, and it, it doesn't have to be by day two you have to be proficient at these skill sets some people might be quicker some people might be longer it's our responsibility to adapt to the individual especially like if you think about the the multicultural world that we're in now with gen z's baby boomers they all are learning differently um you know the the houston market's very very diverse with our our staff um and it can't be a single way to teach people who we are and how we do it we have to lay the foundation of this is what we believe in. We're going to go out of our way and treat people well. And we're going to embody the DNA of, of, of those traits. And then hopefully that matriculates into them. And then the, the latter part is the technical things, which they have to be good at. They have to know it. They have to know the products that are confident. But 
Um, it, to me, it's 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 about being good people. How often do you travel around the circuit and visit all the stores? Yeah, so I, I go to every location once a week um, in the Louisiana Mississippi market, and then I go to the Texas location once a month. Okay. Um, in the Texas market, we hired a director of operations um, that is going to oversee that growth. So we 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 our management team participates in a profit share at each store. We call them operating partners, and all levels of management in that store participate in that profit share. And then in the Texas market, the director of operations kind of will oversee that growth. Do you ever have secret shoppers go into the stores and report back to you, or do you ever randomly show up unannounced or unexpected and sort of see what's great, see what might be a miss, that sort of thing? All right. So I, I know our our founder and our owner is an advocate of the secret shop, um, like spot check without somebody knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm I'm not a big believer in the I got you kind of mentality. Right. So um, I. I never intentionally go to a location unannounced. Um, I usually even text when I'm in route to give them an ETA. Um, ultimately, my goal is for them to be successful. And if they're no I'm coming forces them to have better behavior, I think that there's a win there. Um, and what we did recently, I think big big thing that we're doing with this company is we're we're implementing significant capital into the technological software tech stack um, to help us be a better organization. And one of the first things we did um, that we just launched is a platform called Tattle, T-A-T-T-L-E. And it is a guest sentiment aggregator that um, allows for us to get that feedback that our guests now can give us feedback real time in the store, scan a QR code and allow for us to on the spot, like identify opportunities. Literally somebody could be sitting at a table and say, you know, this, this just happened and the manager can get a ping or I can get a ping and reach out to them. We can go find that guest and correct it. Um, and, and that to, to me, I love the secret shopper to get the feedback, but um, this to me has provided a, a, a really good conduit. And I'm super proud. I, aggregated scores like a 4.8 in that platform industry standards like a 4.24 so um, we're performing extremely well there wow that's that's tremendous i was going to ask you about tech but you gave us a really good overview of some of the things that you're doing and technology is obviously moving forward every single day but it really enhances hospitality and it's kind of crazy that things are going toward the robotic thing just based on the labor challenges people are having but i'm not a huge fan just because it kind of takes yeah. away from that real interaction with you know human interaction and, and real hospitality might be lost and i think technology yeah. should only enhance that not take away from hospitality Boy, you, you know what i mean there's a balance like um in our express models we we implemented the self-checkout kiosk mm-hmm. we still have a human being there as well yeah and it allows for us, in my opinion, to cater to what the guest the guest prefers. Some guests want to talk to somebody. Some guests don't. And uh, oftentimes, I see there's generational aspects of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, some of the generations are, are are more comfortable in that kiosk. And the the kiosk, believe it or not, so provide us um, an opportunity to frequently get higher average check because they're they they don't feel like they're getting sold to along the way. They they're able to modify and augment their order because they decided to versus an employee encouraging them to. Gotcha. That's cool. 
Let's talk about the alcohol thing. Did you always plan on having, you know, alcohol and, and rums and daiquiris and all that kind of stuff, pina coladas with beer in the original store, or did that come later? No, that's always been part of the the the, the growth plan in all of our locations is to to have the a, a bar. Um kind of going back to the the family experience and creating a social dynamic environment where families can come in and the 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 parents can enjoy a, a beverage the kids can run around and play and yeah the arcade stuff you mentioned sure yeah, we did that yeah. too yep uh-huh. yeah so no it's absolutely always been part of the plan that's great and and you know that's another thing that helps you set yourself apart in the segment too because you know everyone thinks of their pizza shop but not everyone has the alcohol program and it's such a increase in profitability and and a draw for new customers and like you said it gives everybody something to come in for in addition to the food so that's that's awesome uh, and, I'll, I'll blow you guys away too we're yeah at, at our locations well a lot of our locations you can leave with your alcohol yes uh, it's it, and then in one of our locations we can actually sell daiquiris through the drive-through window legally like so your guests can order a slice of pizza and a daiquiri pull up and we can hand them both through their drive-through window and they go and they drive off which uh you know it's so fast. was that okay so was that a part of the pandemic because so many states allowed that whole takeout alcohol thing just because it would be something that would augment business during those challenging time and then a lot of states kept that as a permanent policy and now you can take out alcohol but originally it was like it had to be a sealed container and all that kind of stuff and those rules have kind of changed haven't they or are they still the same in your states yeah well in the new orleans market it's always been very loose mm-hmm. um so uh, there's been no real deviations that have opened it up in that in the new orleans market um it appears as though like um, some wine through drive-throughs in the Texas markets now being allowed. Um, we have tighter restrictions on the packaging and what we can sell in the Texas market and the yeah. Mississippi markets governed a different way as well. Awesome. Now there's another hook because you're also selling these drinks by the gallon. I see. Right? Yeah, yeah. Tell us about that. That must be hugely popular. It's almost like a growler of beer, but now I can get a gallon daiquiri or a pina colada or something out the door, right? Yeah, we'll see a huge lift in in that um in that segment, mm-hmm. especially like on sugar uh Super Bowl or our oh, special yeah. days. Um, you know, where people are, you know, ordering whole pies, thir- three, four, five whole pies that are 30 inches long and they're having a party at the house and they'll come in and grab that gallon daiquiri and you know it it it, it is, you know, you literally you pull the handle and you fill it up and it's you know a high margin item for us. Mm-hmm. And for sure. uh, we- we love selling them. And it's a ton of fun that totally complements the food. <laughs> yeah, a ton of fun. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Casey, you've been a great guest. I can't thank you enough for being here. We talked shop and we learned a lot about fat boys and about the things that make you successful. Have we missed anything? Anything you want to leave our audience with? No, I mean, we touched on quite a bit. I, I'm glad we were able to talk, touch on our culture and the technology and, and the implementation of a lot of that and the history. So um, I, I thank you for the time and you know the opportunity to, to, to introduce Fat Boys to your guests. Great. We'll be sharing all your social media handles and your website, of course, in our show notes to this episode. Thanks so much for our guests for tuning in. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Can't wait to see you in the next episode and stay well, everyone. Wow, Casey, that was so much fun. I love talking shop with other passionate operators and people that are just fully immersed in this industry. 
It was all about hooks and service and hospitality. You're speaking my language, and you're doing so many things right. So thanks for sharing your knowledge, your insights, and your operating best practices with our audience. Thanks to the audience for tuning in. Thanks to our sponsors. We'll see you all next time. Stay tuned. I've always believed in systems to run a really effective restaurant. They say you have a system if you can walk away and leave your place for a day, a week, or a month. And it's just as successful, just as profitable when you return, if not more so. Now, the staff are really the foundation of this. And it all comes down to the word empowerment. You know, if you've got really great people and if you can develop those people to have your back, and to run it as if they owned it, treat everything as if they had to pay for it, that's a super powerful system. Once you have the staff in place, it really comes down to three things. It comes down to one, staff training, development, recognition, and rewards to create what I call your dream team, how to empower your team to think and act like owners and to treat everything as if they owned it and had to pay for it, and to deliver amazing guest service experiences to your customers, to serve and sell because sales are the lifeblood of your business, not allowing order takers on the floor, but teaching everyone to recognize opportunities and make suggestions that we know the customers will enjoy and appreciate. It all comes down to training, training, training. Number two, cost controls and maximizing profit. You need to know your critical financial numbers on a weekly basis, and it only takes 10 minutes, but you need to understand these things. How about your daily break even? How much it costs you to open the doors to your restaurant each day? Inventory is not just walking around and figuring out what your order is that week. It's knowing the true value of your goods on hand at any given point in time. And you need this information to be able to calculate your true food and beverage costs. Your labor costs are also important and running a weekly labor analysis against sales. If you know these things, I can teach you how to maximize your profit and control your costs. And then number three is what I call marketing firepower and affinity. You know, affinity is defined as a really powerful sense of loyalty and belonging where your customers become raving fans and they're like an army of brand ambassadors spreading the word for your restaurant. Well, all of this is included in the Restaurant Rockstars Academy. If you really want to take your restaurant to the next level, post-pandemic, things are heating up, customers are coming back, Now's the time to really maximize your opportunities, maximize your sales and profits, and create that dream team staff. Check it out at restaurantrockstars.com. It's the Restaurant Rockstars Academy. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.